comes another edition of Talking Football Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. This week, we're going to wrestle with that old question. Are FC Bayern München just too good for the Bundesliga? After they scored a touchdown and an extra point in Bochum, how could we not? With me this week is another high-end guest. It is Ronan Murphy, Transfers.com. Hey, hey. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. You look you look a little little tired over there in the sort of dim light of your kitchen. Ah, oh, well, it's a, it's nighttime over here, so the so the blinds are down and the lights are on and uh, whatever nocturnal activities the, the howling dogs next door get up to. Uh, I, I don't know. Try to be quiet and calm while the kids are asleep and make the most of things. Excellent, excellent. It's a perfect time to talk some foosball. We're going to be right back in just a moment with the best, of course, and the rest of Match Day 3. But, uh, you know, while we're here together, all of us, please do make sure to subscribe to the pod. Give us a five-star rating. It's a big help for us to find new listeners. If you really like us, you know, sign up on Patreon. we got lots of timeless content over there. A new season of our history series, Historic Match Day Moments, is up and running. Most recently, we had an episode about the other, other, other club from the German capital. And if you don't know what club we're talking about there, uh, you know, sign up, tune in. See you in a bit. Right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about, you know, the best of the match day just gone. Yeah, speaking of the best, the 10-time reigning champs of the Bundesliga, they got a result in Bochum on Sunday that is not going to do anything to tamp down, you know, the growing conversation about their dominating the league. Bayern got a 7-0 win. 7-0. That would still be a six-goal margin even after the one-goal head start idea for all Bayern opponents that was modestly proposed by the Athletic UK's Michael Cox this week. Here's a few little nibbles of food for thought, Ronan. Bayern have racked up a plus-14 goal difference after three games. If you prorate that for an entire season, they'd stand to end up something like plus-155. Bayern's 15 goals at this juncture. That's as many goals as the next three teams. Gladbach, Union, and Mainz have scored combined. Do these sound like the signs of a healthy league to you, Ronan? They, they don't sound like the sounds of a healthy title challenge. And I think that's what people tend to focus on. Our good friend, Michael Cox, that's what he was focusing on. But it only took four minutes before his one goal was cancelled out in, in the Bochum game. But... Yeah, I think from the outside, people like him, not worth your while paying attention to him because he's admitted himself that he doesn't even watch Bundesliga games. So he doesn't he doesn't see anything past whose name is on the trophy every summer. So or probably every every January it'll probably be this year if the after rate Bayern Munich are going. But yeah, I think you you just gonna have to forget about that, and we probably need to forget about the title race even this season, because that's well over, and focus on everything else that's enjoyable and entertaining and about the league. And yeah, even seeing the Bochum fans singing and partying and having fun right till the end. Whereas if you had other leagues, specifically the Premier League, a lot of those fans probably would have left the stadium after 55 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's the difference between, I think, the show atmosphere of the Premier League, where you get more of a 
consumer or even tourist behavior for a lot of fixtures versus the kind of organic club culture that the Bundesliga is trying to foster. And, you know, we can talk about those sort of aspects of, of the differences in leagues and cultures for a long time. But I do think it might be worth, I don't know, all of us who do pay attention to German football, we have our reasons, reasons of history, reasons of personal affinity, reasons of, of you know, a certain type of idealized football culture. But the fact that Bayern has won 10 times in a row is not nothing. <laughs> is there anything to be done I mean, obviously, the one goal lead at the beginning of every game is, is, is a ridiculous and not even seriously proposed idea. But are there any structural things that the league, the DFL could do to foster a little bit more competition? Or is, is just the fundamental nature of, of German football, European football versus, you know, I don't know, North American sports where you have more um, sort of stringent rules to promote parity? It's just not possible. Yeah, I don't really think you can bring in the drafting kind of idea that the best young player will end up going to Hertha Berlin or Schalke or someone next summer. I don't think you can you can bring in that sort of idea. And I think the only way that the Bundesliga can move on is getting rid of the 50 plus one rule. But that's something that a lot of us don't want rid of. And it's part of what makes the Bundesliga special. So the only way to kind of stuck between a hard, rock and a hard place because you can either keep that tradition and keep that fan culture, that community culture and have Bayern win the next 25 titles or else you can get rid of it and then you're opening the doors to investors, you're opening the doors to billionaires from foreign countries coming in buying clubs. And you see what's going on with Manchester United at the moment. There's fan protests ahead of the match against Liverpool because they want the Glazers out and instead who they're hoping for is is Sir Jim Radcliffe, who was wanted by Chelsea two months ago. So it's not like he has a natural affinity for any team. It's just that he's a billionaire and this is something that billionaires do. He's going to look at it as a business the same way the Glazers look at it as a business. And for the Glazers, it's hard to see why they'd sell. It's a very profitable business for them. But we had at the same time as, as Bayern Munich were winning 7-0, we had the Els Sports Washico or whatever you want to call that. You had Newcastle and and Manchester City, and that's something that we definitely don't want pervading the Bundesliga because I think there's enough problems with with the ownership of Rassenballsport and, and Hoffenheim and things like that. There's enough complaints there. And I think getting rid of 50 plus one would get rid of what makes the Bundesliga special. And the title race isn't special and it's not going to be special, but we have got to look past that and just ignore it and take it for granted and maybe hope that the rest of the league could be interesting or some of the teams lower down can challenge for European trophies that, are, that aren't the Champions League or maybe are the Champions League like like Frankfurt's wonderful story last season or maybe Borussia Dortmund could go far in Europe or something but yeah we, we have to hope for other stories apart from, from Bayern Munich and there, there's so much there and so much of fan culture and so much of the fan movements and even the good work to do in the communities and things like anti-Semitism and equal rights for people and all that sort of thing that maybe you might necessarily see in other club cultures. There isn't the same sort of pride in in their community and pride in their club and a kind of a desire to make things better. It's just like you were saying earlier, it's an entertainment thing. You're watching your club and all you care about is the big money transfers and who we can buy next summer and who we can buy in January and sack the manager and this, that and the other. Whereas I think the Bundesliga is is different it's kind of it's still kind of connected to the roots of football and the roots of why many of us started to 
to follow a team when we were young and it wasn't because it was the glamorous thing, you know, have an affinity for a club or a team for some special reason and you'll always be connected to that. But if it's just a kind of carousel of 20 million euro transfers like Nottingham Forest have or like a newly promoted team in England have, it's not the same as the clubs that you kind of grew up loving. Yep. Yep, I feel like, um, and you'll you'll know this better than anybody, as someone who works for footballtransfers.com, that's just not the lifeblood of the Bundesliga. I mean, you know, how many transfer stories about the Bundesliga do you put up in a given window versus how many you put up about Manchester United alone? Yeah, so say on Sunday, I think we had eight or nine stories in a row that were just on Manchester United, and obviously there was no mention of a Bundesliga player in it the Bundesliga players that we have that are usually mentioned are ones that not in the Forest are signing or ones that are linked to different places or how do Bellingham might possibly move to Liverpool in 2023. It's not necessarily the comments and goings. We have a live blog and the Bundesliga transfer and Frankfurt's new player, he was dropped in there, but he wouldn't get a standalone story because it's not big enough. Kind of, It's not going to get the Premier League readers or the Barcelona readers through the door, it's not going to get the same clicks, but that's the way media is. That's what the way the entertainment industry is. And you can, you can kind of see it with the, the TV rights. Like if you compare the, the amount of money that's spent on TV rights for the Premier League or even La Liga compared to the Bundesliga, it's just that, that's what the people want. And sure, that's what we have to give them. Yep, give the people what they want. Well, people do want uh, Bayern thundering wins. They got one on Sunday. I feel like this fixture at Bochum felt a little bit like a training match. You know, Bayern just sort of scored every 10 or 15 minutes. Rinse, repeat. Are there any conclusions we can draw from it? I mean, I guess the, the one thing that I sort of maybe can say is, you know, Leroy Sané and Matthijs de Ligt each got their first start of the season. Each one of those guys scored. I can't really find much of, of anything negative. I can't find many headwinds uh, going against Bayern right now. Can you? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, that's part of it. And if we kind of take a step back and to look at this season kind of as, as a season rather than the 11th title in a row that's coming, if, if we look at the way Bayern Munich are playing at the moment and how they've moved on since Robert Lewandowski, like this could be the best Bayern Munich team in a long time. And the stats kind of are backing up that at the moment. They're just so dominant. Every player is kind of capable of scoring. They're not reliant on one goal scorer. They have two, there's three players at the moment joint on three goals in the top score chart and two of those are Bayern Munich. And then if you look, players on two goals are Bayern Munich. So they can get goals from anywhere. And I think Julian Nagelsmann has the depth now that he maybe didn't have last season. If you look at who they brought off the bench, as well as the younger players, they were able to bring Nabry and Masroy and Gravenberch all came on as substitutes. They couldn't play Goretzka because he's injured. Same with Davies, Musiala. Like it, this is probably the deepest squad they've had in a long time, and and even maybe since the Yopoinkas days, it, it's probably even a better squad than Flick had. And Nagelsmann has, has them playing so well. So I think this could be a record-breaking kind of Bayern Munich team. It, it certainly has elements of it. And when you look at them, if again you take that step back and you just look at them from an entertaining football. This is how football teams should play, point of view. They're doing everything perfectly. It's the way people think Pep Guardiola, all his team at Man City should play, but they're kind of a bit dull, whereas Bayern Munich aren't. They're an exciting team to watch, as long as you're not someone who hates Bayern Munich, <laughs> really. But yeah, it's a, I, I think they're going to steamroll everybody in the Bundesliga this season. It's only whether 
that'll carry over to the Champions League. But I think with the depth of the squad, it could. And this could be a year where they win the Champions League again. I know I probably say it every year when I'm on kind of international radio or, or something that's not Bundesliga exclusive. I had that Bundesliga bias, but I think this year really could be the year that they could do everything because they seem to be strong at the back and going forward. So they don't seem to have a weak spot. Nice, nice. I'm glad you mentioned the Champions League in there at the end. Bayern will be, you know, one among many teams looking forward toward their uh, European group stage fate this week. I'm really excited about their prospects this year, too. Okay, let's move on from Bayern and their big win. Let's talk about the team who find themselves second in the table at the moment. That's Borussia Mönchengladbach. We actually heard from Timmy in Germany that we need more Gladbach in the show. So let's give him what he wants. The Foles, they're up there in second. They should be in the best part of the show. No wonder. They were 1-0 winners on Friday night against uh, a fairly feisty Hertha BSA side. They probably should have made it a two-goal game at one point, but saw their second penalty of the night saved by Oliver Christensen. Two, two handball penalties, by the way. Ronan Gladbach, they were, I would say, probably one of the biggest disappointments of last year's Bundesliga season. They showed us what they were capable of at times. You know, they beat Bayern two out of three meetings last season. But they often looked disjointed, kind of ineffective. Adi Hütter got the boot, of course. Daniel Farker is in. The results so far are good. What do you think has sort of changed about their approach? What's making them fire so well? Yeah, just find, maybe finding that consistency that they lacked last season under Adi Hütter. And uh, Daniel Farker seems to have hit the ground running and he seems to have kind of reinvigorated some of the players that were disappointed last season. I think a lot of the problem last season as well was the, this transition nature of the team and the fact that a lot of players were being linked away and then they didn't get moves away and they, they were continuously being linked and Matthias Ginter, he was to leave and there was contracts expiring and all this, whereas they seem to have a lot more stability this season and that that's standing to them so far and like they easily could have scored more goals against Hertha, and the, the second penalty was a was a poor one. It's kind of a strange team to have different players taking the penalties, especially the fact that you wouldn't have thought either of the players who ended up taking the penalty would have been the first choice. It would have been Ben Sarabini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, yeah, yeah, you would have, you would have thought that that he would have stepped up to take it, but no. Yeah, I, I suppose that they mightn't give Hoffman another chance to take one this season after after that miss, but I suppose it, it didn't really make too much of a difference in the end. They, they picked up maximum points and and Harta continue to be their disappointing selves. But yeah, I, I think Gladbach could have a strong season and maybe they could be the only team to beat Bayern Munich this season because that's what they do so well. Indeed. Yeah, I really thought their front four in general, other than, of course, the bad <laughs> penalty mess. I'm talking about Jonas Hofmann, Florian Neuhaus, Alisson Playa, and Marcus Thuram were really good. They messed really well in this game. I think the important question that that leads to, though, is how is Connor Noss going to get a game? Yeah, I, I kind of wondered. Uh, he, he made the bench for the first game, and uh, then he, he's kind of disappeared since. So I think he's back with the, the, the youths, but... Uh, yeah, there is high hopes for them with the Ireland under-21s and the Ireland under-21s have a big playoff game coming up and we could qualify for the, the Euros for the first time ever mm-hmm. if we can if we can progress. But uh, yeah, so as long as he stays fit for that, that that's the most important thing for me at the moment. But um, yeah, we always like in Ireland the exotic 
players, the Anselmo Garcia McNulty at Wolfsburg, these sort of players that uh, have gone a bit further afield. So we've also got Aaron Connolly from the senior team has moved to to Venice to Venezia on on loan this season, and we have a few players in in Syria. We have Festi Abasele was the fifth ever Irish player to to play in in Syria. So we have a bit of a international variety, but hopefully Conor Noss can pick up another few Bundesliga appearances this season because he he was able to to play a couple of times at the end of last season. But uh, we'll see what Daniel Farca thinks of him. Yeah, well, you know, especially if they can build up a few, uh, you know, two or three goal leads. You know, you can uh, come in for the last 15, 20 minutes, you know, sort of mop things up, maybe get a goal. Speaking of of, of Daniel Farca, he was quite complimentary of Hertha following this game. He called them well-organized. He called them compact. He said they were likely to pick up plenty of points this season as things move along. Was this something that you should take seriously? Uh, or did you see evidence of that on Friday? Or is that sort of um, a coach who wants to sort of maybe take his opposite number by the shoulder and say, there, there, <laughs> things will turn around soon? Yeah, it's probably, probably a bit of both. I think Hertha, they've always seemed to have the players where they should be doing better than to do. So maybe Sandro Schwartz can be the the man to kind of make them stable and, and solid and rigid, maybe hard to beat is what they need to do before they, they walk before you can run, kind of. But the, I suppose the, the big positive from Hertha this summer is they didn't just go out in the transfer market and look for kind of band-aid solutions, which they had been doing the last few years, just throwing money at the wall and kind of wasting more and more money and trying to move on from some of these these big earners and the high salary guys and, and kind of go back to the drawing board, which is which is probably what they needed to do a bit quicker than they are. So I I wouldn't have too many long term worries for them, but I feel it could be another difficult season. It won't be as difficult as last season, I wouldn't think, but it could be another difficult season for them because they still kind of have to find their feet a little and, and it'll be hard to pick up points, especially when you're you're giving away two handballs in the same match. It's always going to be a difficult one, but we'll see how it goes for them. I think they, sh- they should be all right, but I suppose you never know. We, we've seen the Bundesliga so many times that, that big teams can go down, so it's a kind of a wait and see at this stage. But I think they've, they've made the right choices and they're doing as well as they can on and off the field at the moment, considering what's come before. Yeah, I too felt that the overall performance sort of the functioning of the team was good, but I am also super concerned about the two handball penalties. And there was a third penalty that could have been called in that game for a, you know, a, a foul that for whatever reason, the referee decided not to give, but certainly could have given. So individual errors, I think, uh, are something that have plagued Herta in the recent past and seemingly continue to plague them. Okay, okay. Let's talk about the better team in Berlin at the moment. Things are really taking flight over in Köpenick. Union got past Leipzig 2-1 in the top spiel this weekend. A pretty desperate Red Bulls comeback in the late going. Not enough to get them one point in this game. For Union, the Jordan Sibicha slash PFOC and uh, Geraldo Becker strike partnership is is looking very, very promising. Each one of those guys picked up a goal. How far do you think those two guys at least can carry this team in terms of uh, a goal-scoring load? I mean, this is not known. This is necessarily an explosive team in 
the past few years, at least outside of maybe the Max Cruza era and a few hot spells from Taiwa Awani. But this maybe looks like something really real that could be um, a whole season method for success. Yeah, I, I think the big question will be how they rotate and how they get on once they have to play European fixtures. But I've been very impressed with with Jordan as his name on the back of the jersey is. He 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 has two surnames, but he uses neither on the back of his jersey. I, I've been very impressed with with how he's kind of adapted so quickly to the Bundesliga, and he looks like the perfect replacement for for Taiwo Awani. Who went to, to Nottingham Forest? He looks like he could even be an upgrade on him. So uh, I've been very impressed with with him so far, and less impressed with my decision to remove him from my fancy team and replace him with Timo Werner, who was was not on target in, in this game. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought Torro Timo might might find his best back at Leipzig, but it's he he's still carrying that Chelsea weight on his shoulders, perhaps. But to answer your question, I, I think Union can have a solid season. I think they should be looking for a European qualification place again through the league. A big admirer of what, what they do on and off the field. So I, I, I hope they, they kind of win over a few extra new fans because it is a kind of fairy tale story and we need a good team from Berlin to kind of be competing. And that's not Hertha at the moment. So hopefully it'll be Union. We need at least one good team yeah. from Berlin. We're not. We're open to two, yeah. but you know. Okay, yeah. I think that those two attackers that I mentioned before are, are, are really going to be a big part of their success if they have it. But ultimately, this is a team that is known. Their, their trademark is being hard to beat, and their defense is great at the moment. I mean, Paul Yekel, Robin Knocha, and Diego Leche look like a really, really good combination for them at center back. Now that they're moving up from the UEFA Europa Conference League to the UEFA Europa League. How do you like their sort of chances over there? I mean, this is obviously a long competition, one that you get a whole new wave of, of you know, Champions League third placers coming in at a certain juncture. So we can't necessarily look too far into the future, but the sort of initial Europa League group stage, do you think that they have what it might take to advance and maybe go on to that sort of back end of the of the tourney? I think they could. Uh, I think they definitely have the, the ability to to be a top two team in a Europa League group, and obviously everything depends on the draw. But I think the, their squad is strong enough. Their their defense is solid. Like you listed the guys there, they to have Trimmel obviously doing a great job at wide. They have some good players to come off the bench. We haven't really seen Jamie Leveling yet much this season and he could be a kind of dark horse especially if you need someone to replace Peafock or, or Becker or up front or maybe add a bit of variety to the attack so yeah I think they, they should do all right and like I said it will be difficult once they have these games in on a Thursday and on a Sunday going forward but maybe their squad has been able to stay together the majority of it so maybe that'll stand to them that they have this experience together and they have, they have that kind of mentality and Onion or as a team, as a, as a fan group, they probably look at themselves as us against the world. So if they, even if they get a difficulty or openly draw, that won't kind of impact their confidence too much because they are this us against the world kind of team. So I think, I think they should do all right in Europe. Yeah, especially if they can carry their really fearsome home form that they have put up in the Bundesliga into the Europa League. They have got permission from UEFA to play 
at their home ground, the, the Stadion de Alto Fosterei. So, yeah, there could be some some real surprises if uh, a, a big-name team comes into that stadium and realizes uh, how hard it is to get a result there. Okay, one more game to talk about here at the, the sort of best half of the show. It's Mainz's 2-1 win over Augsburg. Yeah, they're level on points with Union on seven. This was actually their first away win in the top flight against Augsburg. That's a little bit surprising to me. They didn't get it done until late, though. Uh, Lee Jae-sung scored on a, a nifty header from a tight angle to see out that victory. Any quick thoughts on Mites after a pretty uneven campaign last year? They're looking a little bit more consistent now. Yeah, I think this kind of what you can expect on a weekly basis from Mainz. It could, could be one all going into the 90th minute and they could win, draw or lose. Anything could happen. I, I think they're one of these kind of unpredictable teams, but that will hang in games. No matter the opposition, they're unlikely to, to kind of put concede five or score five. So if you're looking for a match to tune into, maybe don't watch a Mainz game because it probably won't be that entertaining. But like I said earlier, Bayern Munich have two of the top three goal scorers in the league, but Mainz have the other one. So that should make for for, <laughs> for an interesting start. And we, we'll see how, honestly, we'll go for the rest of the season. But he he's, he started the top flight quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. Karim Anasiwal. Who, who would have predicted? All right, uh, let's take a little break and then come back for part two. Again, it's Matt Herman here on Talking Foosball Direct. I'm here with Ronan Murphy. We are jumping into the rest of Match Day 3 here in Part 2, the part where we sort of mop up the match day. Something really shocking happened in Dortmund on Saturday when Werder Bremen came back to win with three goals coming late, late, late. Don't ask me too much about how I was out running with a friend during the, the slate of conference games. But feel free to ask me how shocking it was. It was this shocking. A stat, courtesy of Talking Foosball's own Flo Reinecke, in 7,222 Bundesliga games in which a team has led by two goals after the 88th minute, this was the first time ever that the side that was down two goals had come back and won. Jesus, Dortmund. Could you play any more to type? Ronan, what, what is your take on, on what happened in this game and what does it portend? Um, a, I don't think it's that shocking at all because it's Dortmund. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, and B, who would have thought that would have been Flo Reinecke to come up with this for the Raymond stat of all people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, probably had, he, he probably was digging through, through the archives to find that one. But yeah, it's, it's the same old, same old from Borussia Dortmund. And we had hoped... After the first couple of weeks, maybe things would have been different. Maybe maybe Dortmund had invested solidly in solid defenders. They have Nico Schlotterbeck after coming. Niklas Sula has arrived. This should be a new Dortmund, a new Dawn, new defensive masterclass. No goals can say, oh, no way. It's the same mentality as every other year. I'm sick of this, as Marco Rice has been known to say. But yeah, the same old Dortmund. And I think we're just in for one of those seasons, Dortmund. Terzic is a huge fan favourite. He was, he's a club favourite, but is he the right man for the job? Not so sure. He's a, more of a vibes coach than anything else, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, it's, 
it'll be a fun season, an entertaining season. That'll be the opposite to what I said mine's a minute ago. If, you ha- if you're only going to watch one match every weekend, make it Borussia Dortmund because anything could happen. Yeah, or make it perhaps uh, Werder Bremen, who have been pulling off these uh, these crazy escape acts the last two weeks. We've had, you know, late winners from uh, Oliver Burke, two weeks running. This seems to be a team that uh, comes alive once the substitutes come on and uh, their backs are against the wall. Should we read anything into this? I mean, is, is, is this Werder Bremen side one that has any particular fighting spirit, or is this just something that um, happened to happen back-to-back? I'd say it's probably something that happened to happen. It's probably indicative of the mentality at the club and the belief in the team that they're able to pull off these late wins and, and get late goals. And and surprisingly, it's Oliver Rourke doing it, because the last time he was in the Bundesliga, he didn't look like he could hit a, a cow's backside with a banjo, but... Maybe he's he's got his bagpipes and that's why he's aiming for the, the cow's backside this time because the bigger musical instrument is sounds you a better chance of hitting these things. But yeah, so oh, we, we, we'll got see. St- how, it's got things sticking out of it in all directions. Yeah, so. yeah the poor yeah. cow. But yeah, we, we'll see how how Werder Bremen go as the season progresses. I, I'd imagine we we'll see them in the in the bottom half of the table and they'll be nicely in 14th or 15th. But uh, yeah, entertainment and if. If your match has ended early, maybe flick over to that channel to see the, the 90 minute plus for Werder Bremen and see can they pull the rabbit out of the house once again. Nice. Top TV viewing tip from Ronan Murphy there. Okay. Here's a, another sort of, I don't know, I, I'm not going to call it shocking, but maybe cumulatively shocking. Leverkusen's tale of woe is continuing. This time, I guess maybe unlike last week against Augsburg when they were pretty unfortunate not to get a result. They have to rue a lot more than missed chances in, in their match against Hoffenheim. They lost this one 3-0. Hoffenheim were up from the jump pretty much. Christoph Baumgartner scored a lovely backheel goal eight minutes in, and Andre Kramaric had you know another goal in before halftime. Leverkusen, they're second bottom now, level on points or level, level on no points with Bochum. They are away to Mainz next week. They are home to Freiburg after that. How ugly could this start to the season for Leverkusen get? Yeah, it's pretty ugly already. I I never would have predicted it. I think I was on American radio a few weeks ago before the season started, and who did I tip to look out for as a possible dark horse in, in all competitions by Leverkusen? And they, I don't know. They just haven't turned up yet this season. And it's not true... A big problem where they have loads of players out injured or anything, and more or less close enough to the the first eleven that you will pick week in week out. And I just don't understand it at the moment. It's like we're watching a different team than last season's team, but I suppose they have the players to turn things around quickly, and they have such kind of potency and attack that we shouldn't kind of be worried for them in the long term because we we've seen in the past what these players are are capable of. So. Mainz and Freiburg maybe need to watch out because there could be a, a revenge story in the next week or two. Sure, sure. I think that's that's a distinct possibility. Okay, just because sensationalism is, is fun sometimes, um, <laughs> let's just say things do continue to go badly. Is Gerardo Seoane in any trouble? Is he in any more or less trouble than, say, Domenico Tedesco is in in Leipzig? I don't think so. I think, he, I think Tedesco is probably under more pressure because it's a – it's maybe a bigger job to the outside world and there's a lot of pressure being the Leipzig head coach, whereas 
I think in Leverkusen you're probably going to be getting a little more time and say Oani showed last season what he's capable of and I think Simon Rafael came out after the game and kind of indicated that he has the full backing of everybody at the club so he shouldn't be too worried yet but if it was to continue and maybe if they started badly in Europe you could see the kind of the wolves at the door coming and maybe he could be under pressure then because Leverkusen can't afford to have bad seasons because they're not a kind of team that their players stay with for that long. They're kind of a win-now team every season. They seem to have an endless conveyor belt of central attacking midfielders that they've plucked from the local clubs and or snatched from them that they seem to be able to get. But it, they are a selling club at the end of the day, as much as they want to be one of the bigger clubs in, in Germany and they have the backing that they have, they are a selling club, so it's hard for them to keep hold of these big names. So I think if, say, Ayana starts to struggle this season, you could see them kind of move on from them quickly because they need to have good season after good season because they're wasting some of the talent they have and they'll be wasting for inverts this season because maybe he will be the player to leave next summer. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you mentioned their sort of first choice 11 being more or less intact at the moment. And that's, that is the one big caveat. And, you know, maybe, maybe the lad is the one to, to turn them around when he, he uh, gets back to full fitness. Interesting result from the Schwaben Baden Derby. This is one, one for the Germans out there. Freiburg got a one nil win over Stuttgart. They are, you know, level with, with Hoffenheim on six points. Pretty tight result, however. Do you think that Stuttgart was uh, at all hard done by here, or was this just sort of uh, the kind of hard-fought game that could go either way in the end? Yeah, I think it probably was. And yeah, I think these games are going to be like that, especially the, the two teams involved. If you had to predict the score beforehand, you probably would have predicted 1-0, or and 1-0 could have went either way. It was kind of one of these goals where it wouldn't be a one goal to decide it, and you weren't going to predict that there was going to be four or five goals. It wasn't going to be a 3-2 driller. If you were betting, you'd bet the under and goals scored, and you mightn't even bother with both teams to score on, on your betting docket because it would be throwing money down the drain. It was always going to be one of these matches, and you just have to take these ones as it comes, and... For Stuttgart, they take it with zero points, and Freiburg take it with three points. And for those of us who have a soft spot for Freiburg, and how can you not with Christian Strike, it was a perfect result for the weekend. Fair play. Okay, Eintracht and Cologne, they split the points. They each scored one goal in the opening match on Sunday. Jan Thielemann in... Uh, Late on, scored a, a wild volleyed goal to bring uh, Cologne level from just outside the area. Just a little bit of, um, you know, sort of VAR sour grapes coming in after that one, especially from uh, Eintracht keeper Kevin Trapp, who seemed to think that his view was either obstructed or the fact that the ball sort of nipped by a Cologne player. He found it a little, little hard to believe that, that that was a passive offside situation, but it was a really sweet goal. Any quick thoughts about the sort of fates of these teams to come? These are, you know, teams who, who will also be looking ahead to later this week for their, their European fates and are hoping to have a long campaign ahead of them. Yeah, I think the, the positive for Frankfurt, obviously, is the fact that because they're the Europa League winners, A, they get into the Champions League, but B, they're a first seed. And yeah. They don't deserve That's huge. to be a first seed, obviously. But because of that, they get to miss out on the likes of Manchester City or, or Real Madrid or whoever. They, they won't have these mega teams to face. And that could kind of guarantee their progress in Europe 
probably not through the Champions League, but it, it gives them so much of a better chance of coming third and dropping down into the Europa League. And we know Frankfurt, that's their competition. They, they, they seem to go to get to the semi-finals of, or the quarter-finals of the Europa League every year. So maybe again this year, maybe they could they could go a bit further and be back-to-back Sevilla-like winners of, of the Europa League. Cologne, on the other hand, I think they'll just be happy to be there. They'll be looking forward to the draw. They'll hope to get something from it, but it's it's a good experience and it'll be a good experience for some of the young players they have on the, the books to have that European experience with them and it, it's something to look forward to and something to build from and they can kind of take that back into the league and maybe finish the second half of the league strongly. I'm not predicting them to go deep in Europe, but again, it all depends on the draw and we see what happens. Yeah, well, I mean, first things first, they gotta they gotta turn around the result that they got. Uh, True, the two one <laughs> loss to Fehervar, the the Hungarian team. Uh, if, if they can't manage to do that this week, then uh, it will be a very short campaign indeed. All right, one final game from the week: uh, Wolfsburg and Schalke. Uh, it was a nil nil result, so we're not going to talk about it. That's all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice to have you back on. It's my pleasure, as always. It's always good chatting to you, Matt. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, you can find Ronan on Twitter at Swear I'm Not Paul. If you want to contact me over there, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Talking Foosball Extra will be coming up in just a couple of days. We'll be talking about the lower leagues again this week. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. 